Welcome back to Common Intellectual. This week we have Luke Martin. Luke Martin's in the Colorado Avalanche organization. Grew up playing hockey in St. Louis. Awesome conversation. Awesome to catch up and kick off the NHL season. NHL this season is going to be on TNT and ESPN. They signed a $1 billion media rights deal that saw pretty good figures for the opening weekend, surpassing the prior two seasons in both opening nights which was tuesday and wednesday espn owns tuesday night and tnt is on wednesday the milwaukee bucks received their ring that is inclusive of a pennant and also has a qr code the top of the ring comes off to have the pennant holder so that it can turn into a necklace pretty cool peak six an investment firm out of chicago has invested in premier league soccer team wolverhampton they have invested a undisclosed amount and become a minority owner of the already owned team. They plan on accelerating the club's growth in North America by providing visibility and activation opportunities for Wolves and Wolves esports across the United States. That continues to grow and this is evident as Fox Sports is close to finalizing a deal over broadcasting rights for the UEFA European Championship from ESPN that's held the rights since 2008 according to the Sports Business Journal. A deal would include the rights to the 2024 Euro and 2028 Championships. This is the international tournament, not the club Euros. This would include the UEFA Nations League and European qualifiers. ESPN paid $115 million for the Euro 2020 alone, and UEFA is seeking $300 million total for the next two events. In baseball, Major League Baseball, we have the championship series going on now. In the American League, the Astros are up three games to two on the Red Sox. In the National League, Braves are up three games to one on the Dodgers. From John Boy Media, Big Baby David here to break it down. We spoke on Monday night. So I had just come back from the game on Sunday in Atlanta, which was electric, just to give you some context. And now, Big Baby David. Braves, two walk-offs, back-to-back, electric endings, both times. And the one last night was amazing. Wanted to see my friend's part tripped out at the stadium. Didn't get that opportunity. Just great playoff baseball. Yeah, Braves, are uh, they're putting together all the... It's all the guys who like stepped up during the year, getting it done right now. Uh, you know, they they had to kind of rebuild their outfield out of nothing because they lost Acuna and and other guys were underperforming early in the year. So they get they get Eddie Rosario in a straight swap for Pablo Sandoval, who uh, who was immediately released by Cleveland, and uh, and, and and Eddie was the hero last night. But Jock's been the hero all playoffs, and he's you know got the pearls going. He's dyed the hair. He's just having an absolute blast, calling himself a bad bitch, calling, calling himself a bad motherfucker. <laughs> Bama, yeah, and he's, and, he's just like the freaking coolest. And, and they can the bring back Duvall midseason. Everyone loves him. It's really yeah. awesome. Crazy. And it's the NL East, so it's... Yeah, nobody else most, stepped up. Right, right. It's always... It feel, I feel like that 
that division specifically is always the one who steps up. You also mentioned before we started recording that the Dodgers were down three to one or two, nothing uh, last year during this series. So fair weathered fans in Atlanta have another reason to not get they their are, up they have, they're not exhaling quite yet. They, uh, they don't feel safe and, and fair enough between that uh, between being in this exact situation, essentially a year ago. And, uh, and of course the, the Falcons Super Bowl not too long ago. And yeah. And just a b- bunch of weird Atlanta stuff. Um, so they're, they're not quite out of the woods yet, but and they're in, they're in the driver's seat. Now, if, worst case scenario, you lose all these games in, in LA, you get two, two chances at, uh, at home. You got to feel as good as you can. Exactly. Exactly. They're in the NLCS, which is more than the Giants can say with their Mm -hmm. very unfortunate ending. Uh, The check swing that I watched the video and no way he went through. Regardless, it was an amazing series. It just stinks for the Giants that it had to end that way. Yeah. I mean, that game was incredible. Yes. And uh, (laughs) for it to end that way, I mean, that's all we're going to remember about that game is that it ended on that check swing, but that whole series was awesome. That whole game was, was awesome. So much back and forth to have an incredible season like they had, uh, and that way stings. I mean, I think we go one more, one more pitch and probably nothing changes air quotes around that, but, uh, Oh man, that's just a tough, tough way to go out. Even, even if that was a close check swing, if you're, um, I'm blanking on the umpire's name, but, if you're that guy, you can't call that a strike. Just can't. No. You have to know you're ending a team season there. And it, and it happened to not be close. Usually on those check swings, you can look at him and be like, oh, I, I see how you made that call, but I disagree. But that one, there's just no argument for. That's for, for Wilmer <laughs> yeah. and, and the Giants. Yeah, that one was tough. And it seems like it's all connected with the Dodgers where the Braves are playing them now in the NLCS. You have a great series going on with the Astros and Red Sox. And then it started off with the Cardinals and Dodgers. And we spoke about it with the pitching change going to Alex Reyes in the wild card game. And now Mike Schultz is out as manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, they got moved on from Schilty. It seemed like um, it's just one of those things where it was uh, just want the fresh voice in there. Just. It's time for something new. He did fairly objectively a good job over like the three and a half years he was manager, but uh, sometimes you just need a new guy in there to get you over the top. And it seemed like uh, they're a team run by vets, so they didn't necessarily need his leadership style, I guess. I don't know. It's not, it sounded like they have someone in mind to fill in, and I don't know who it's supposed to be, but uh, but it sounds like they're they're ready to – take somebody from one of these teams that's left once they're eliminated. Sounds seem feels like an announcement's going to happen there. Right. And as a Cardinals fan, it's, I'm not used to seeing stuff like this. We had Matheny before, which I feel like lasted mm. longer than Schultz. And he wasn't even a, an experienced coach at the time. He was a former player, which I felt like matched with the, the players. And that was where baseball was going at the time, similar to football, where you're getting the younger coaches in and, Obviously, my opinion doesn't matter at all when you have a manager like Schultz who's moving up the ranks and he finally gets his opportunity to be a manager. I'm surprised that the Cardinals gave him that short of a leash, especially after the last run that they just had. 
So uh, I, seemed- I suppose mo- like most of the regular season this year, they did underperform. And at, at the end, mm-hmm. they, they obviously surged and rallied around something. Um, but I guess they figured Schilt wasn't the, uh, the cause of that or something. So, so if you feel bad, they'll sting for a couple of days, but I guess they're ending on okay terms. I, I think he'll get another job at, at some point, but, uh, but yeah, I'm interested to see whoever the guy they're, planning to hire is it's it's weird because both Matheny and Schultz were different situations the Cardinals just usually like you said have a name in mind or have a style in mind and that's kind of who they go with so now that the Giants are out of the playoffs that was your favorite uh I don't remember who do you remember who my favorite was I don't even know if I picked one um remember yeah all right so who who do you who do you have now between the Red Sox Astros Dodgers Braves if we uh, have? if we had if if the Dodgers got one of those games in Atlanta, and they can still very easily win this series, but I would much easily much more easily say them if they got one of the games in Atlanta. But I I I lean Houston. Um, they're just so good, and they have so many dudes that have made these extended playoff runs. But also their pitching staffs like really thin right now. They're all banged up and, and overused. Boston's managed their pitching better than anybody, but for whatever reason, I mean, I I personally just can't pick them, but uh, but they've like positioned themselves the best in their lineup, you know, top to bottom mashes. So, I mean, in theory, they they've they're the best left or as far as teams that are in a good position. Dodgers, you're down 2-0, so it's hard for me to pick you. And the Braves, I really like them, but they've they underachieved most of the year as well. We got a bunch of teams that are that are a little flawed. Um you know, I think I'll be rooting for whoever comes out of the NL. So I guess since Braves are kind of in the Dodgers seat for the sake of answering the question, I'll say them. <laughs> yeah. Um because I can't live with myself if uh specifically the red sox but i wouldn't be thrilled if the astros won either right and that's how um, i feel about the dodgers like i'm not picking the dodgers with with pools i don't want to see him winning with another team oh, and yeah, i don't want to see the team that beat us go i feel like yours is much more personal than that so i i would say that i to see the braves pull it off would be great i have a feeling that they just find a way to to choke so I think yeah. Jock Peterson is a they don't great have the addition. benefit of the doubt. No, they definitely don't. The addition of Jock Peterson, however, with his experience last season, he's got he's got it. He just has the yeah. city right now. Everybody that I was walking by yesterday at the stadium was wearing a pearl chain and they were they were rocking when Jock Peterson yeah. was on the field. Pearls are awesome, man. And he's, play, it, he's playing well enough to to pull it off. My order of uh of the teams left that like how happy it would make me if they won. Atlanta's very much the top. Uh, then like a little step down Dodgers. I don't really care about them, but in general, people hate them. And I like the Braves more. Um, and then like big gap for Houston and then a big, another big gap. And then Boston <laughs> way at the bottom. I can, I can deal with it. If Houston wins uh, Boston, I can't have them, you know, from, from being a Yankee fan, they, uh, the Red Sox, the, the Yankees, their core like came together 2017 Boston wins the next year in 2018. They get, they get a world series. I can't have them fully rebuild and win again before the Yankees like even make one. So if they, if they get another one, that's like they've won five since 
and the Yankees have won one since the dynasty. So uh, I can't have that. So, right. so I'm I'm I'm, ha- I'm happily rooting for for the Ashers to win the series, but they're not likable either because of the whole cheating thing. So. Exactly, trash cans, trash cans. So, in the ideal situation, Braves, Astros, worst case scenario, L.A. Boston, which would probably be the preferred media series with the two coasts being represented. And yeah, I think it, either AL team like nationally that that plays. Answer isn't really like a bad World Series matchup right. here from like a national interest perspective. I guess Braves and Red Sox maybe, but it's still two like big fan bases. Thank you as always for joining. Big Baby David, John Boy Media, live streams, social, plug it. Oh yeah. Talk uh well at Talking Baseball and the Talking Baseball YouTube. <laughs> that's what we're doing. All our all our live streams every pretty much any night there's a uh, there's a playoff game we're doing we're doing a stream there and uh yeah my socials big baby david on on instagram big baby david with the underscore on it on twitter boom like and subscribe like and subscribe yeah. coming appreciate out the live streams are really fun yeah i've been on a couple of them they're awesome appreciate you too in business facebook has announced they will be rebranding towards a more metaverse future next week they will be planning on announcing their name Netflix is moving towards a more gaming future by hiring former Facebook and EA executive Mike Verdeau. And Netflix usage was up 14% during the Facebook and Instagram shutdown. Life and Art Batman trailer has been released. This will be starring Robert Patterson and Zoe Kravitz. And Squid Games has been streamed by over 142 million accounts in first four weeks. They spent $21 million and have received $900 million in value and is number one in 94 different countries. In comparison, Netflix spent $24 million alone on Dave Chappelle's The Closer. And now, Luke Martin. All right. I should no, be I, chill. I haven't, I haven't had a dog in, in an episode before, so I was going to be okay. I just I, I think you still probably will. They'll speak up eventually. I love it. What's the favorite spot that you've ever played in? Because I feel like you've just been all over. Favorite place that I've ever played. Oh, I was talking about the other day. We played at MSG my uh, sophomore year. Oh, man. Uh, And it was unreal. Absolutely unreal. Um, Or no, I think it was my junior year. It was. Uh, We got smoked, but it was just so cool. Who did you guys play? We played Penn State. I think we lost 6-1. It was a shellac. It was a shellacking. Uh, Conference. Was it a weekend series? Yeah. So we played the first game at Yoast. Um, That was like Thursday. And then we went there Saturday. The Big Ten does this super, like super day. So the basketball team plays – the two basketball teams play in the afternoon. So it was Penn State versus Michigan basketball at like noon. And then we played their hockey team at, you know, six or seven. Uh, they flipped the ice, both in MSG. And it's just, it's cool. It was cool to be a part of. I'm pretty sure the basketball team held up their end of the bargain. But uh, that's all right. We, we won't talk about that. No, all good. I mean, it's it's got to be cool to be able to play in a stadium like that. But I can't imagine what it's like to just be able to go play in a barn like Yoast. I mean, that's that's unreal. And I'm sure – when you're looking at colleges, 
it's like that's an experience in its own where you're just like okay i get to go play home games there and then in the big 10 in general you've got stadiums like penn state i remember tommy napier he had the water bottle thing with the the penn state crowd you have so many environments in college hockey big 10 that it's just it's unreal yeah it's like what i love so much about yost is the history um you know it's such an old building and there's just so much that's happened there like you know i don't have it like the other ranks are cool but penn state's brand new uh wisconsin minnesota i think are just way too big um you know 10, 12,000 people, like uh, Wisconsin might be bigger than that. It might be like 16 to 18. It's just too many. Like you can fill it occasionally. The best part about you is it's 5,800 people. Like we sell out most nights and even when we don't, it's, you know, loud because it's, you're right on top of it. Um, so that plus, you know, the student section is unbelievable. Um, and it's just, it really is, it's the best college rink that I played in like it was it was everyone in the Big Ten's favorite road game to go play like we have terrible facilities but we get away with it because um because it's just like you get to play in front of that crowd the away facilities I mean so like the Big Ten away facilities are great and every other rink huge locker rooms you know you have all the amenities and ours is literally like uh you know one of those temporary walls that you pull over the concourse and that's like their training room stretching or like their training room and coach's office is the same room. Uh, they warm up in the concourse with people walking by. Like it's, uh, it's pretty bad, but then they get on the ice and it's, you know, it's the best. So well, yeah. we have a little bit like of advantage. You have there. to, you have to do that for visiting teams. Like you can't give them a good experience. Oh yeah. But I like ours everywhere else in the big 10 is great. Like easy, tons of space, like good setup. And then the only time I've ever been over into that locker room really is during uh like the Michigan hockey youth summer camp I'd walk in and be like oh my god like they still haven't vamped this up they still haven't improved this for these guys but like I said we get away with it yeah well I feel like there's a reason behind that but I mean you get ha- you get to have experiences in all of the big 10 ranks because I, I think of Minnesota where it's just a bowl and then yours is like a barn. I didn't know that Penn State got a new ring. I just remember seeing on ESPN that time that, I mean, it seems like they're on top of each other when, when they're at the game and it gets sold out. So yeah. the water bottle thing was when the his Tommy was a goalie at Ohio State. He had his water bottle off to the side and the crowd was letting him have it for having the water bottle off to the side. He finally fixed it. They went wild. So it's like just in college hockey in general is – such a cool experience to be able to travel around to different rinks, be able to go to see whatever these schools have to offer and I guess make the visiting teams life hell so that you can just have a time. Absolutely. And like, it's funny. So my brother played at Yale. And so the ECAC is all old, small, like not, not shitty, but, just older ranks with character, right? So Princeton's is like a library, like just a super old building. But we went and played uh, when I was a development team, actually. We played there um, my 18 year. And Jim was like, man, that rink is terrible. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is this is so cool. Like, it's just an old, 
I love an old atmosphere, like history. You know, you walk in and you're like, all right, something has happened here. And it was just such a, that's what I loved about playing out of conference is we got to go to more of those rinks that were, you know, that had a ton of character. And I'm not saying that the others don't, um, but, you know, like Ohio State is, is, if you take the Ohio State banners down, then it could be a pro rink, you know, and all the pro rinks are the same, just kind of sterile. And they get great attendance. They get, I think they get the most, they're top five in college hockey every year for attendance, but it's a 20,000 person arena, like I said. So it's, you know, if they get 10,000 people, it's half full. It's no fun. That's bigger than most NHL rinks, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's huge. Um, and I don't think they ever, they definitely didn't sell out. Um, and we're their biggest game. So I can't imagine like Wisconsin going into Ohio State's got to be grueling. Right. But well, I mean, you create your own energy. Well, you do, but it's also you have you have these different schools that are trying to make a different college experience. Where, like you said, it's like the barn atmosphere is like okay, the crowd becomes a part of the game. Totally, and and it's it's a disadvantage for that, right? Like if we go into Wisconsin, and they're you know they were not very good when I was there. Um, they're kind of down. They're coming. They're on the way back, but. Uh, you know, you go in Wisconsin, they need, they need our crowd on their side, you know, and like you come into Yost, it's, it's buzzing. It's tough to play in there. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to play against in front of the children of Yost if I weren't, weren't in maize and blue. That's for sure. I, and you mentioned playing for the development team. I just out of curiosity, what's that process like to get that going? Because that's really, I feel like your entry into, I don't, I don't know if I would and you can please explain, but I don't know if it would, I would say college hockey because I feel like from there you get to choose whether you go junior route or, uh, or college because that's, mm-hmm. that's what you get with hockey and it starts so late. So what was that process like for you and how, how did the development team have a role? In it? Um, it was – so most guys know where they're going before they get to that team. The recruiting is so young now. Um, so I actually knew that I was going to go to Michigan before I went there, before I made that team. I was f- 15. Okay. I was a freshman in high school. Um, so, yeah, they, like, they invite uh, top 50 camp. They invite 50 guys, and you play. They split you into three teams, and you play a few games, and you practice, and they just evaluate and choose the team from there. Um, but that was the most – competitive group of guys that I've ever been with. And it was also one of the tightest. It was probably the tightest team that I've ever been on. Cause you spend two years with the same group. Um, and you know, everyone's, everyone goes through their first year together and the first years are grind because you're, you're 16, 17 playing against, you know, older guys in junior hockey and getting, you know, they, they design it. So you go through adversity both years. So you're playing against the older guys, you're 17 year and get, you know, getting smacked around a little bit in the USHL. You can be 21 in the USHL. So like you're playing against men right away. Um, and so I, I think it took us two full months of playing in the USHL before we won our first game. Um, it's hard. It was hard. And then, you transition from that into your 18 year and like your 18 year, you're the best team in the league. Um, like, so it's a split schedule. So the 17s play half and the 18s play half. So it's one team 
in the league standings. And then if you make the playoffs, the 17s play. Um, and so when you get to your 18 year, you're, you know, you, you go into every game expecting to win. Like you're like, all right, we can, we can handle uh, anyone that we see in this league. But then you, so you play half, your 18 year, you play a half USHL schedule and half college schedule. And so you get that adversity again. When you're playing college guys, it's, you can play guys that are 25. So you get the same sort of adversity like playing against men. Our team actually did really well against college teams. Um, but like I said, we were a really close-knit group, and that helped us succeed. Um, and then your 18-year, you played three international tournaments as well against your own age. <laughs> but that experience was unbelievable. Like, I wouldn't – wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And just, like I said, such a tight knit group and, and so many guys that are having so much success now. It's just so much fun to watch, you know, guys that I saw come in and get better and grow their game and grow into people. And now are, you know, playing at a, a very high level. Um, but it's that, that program, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate development tool. And it's a, you're, I was really lucky to be a part of it now with the recruiting process i feel like from every age since we've been in high school i guess so my freshman year was probably one of the first years with luke opoka going with luke cunning going and then like i said seeing austin matthews play in lake placid like all of those teams they had players that we we knew guys on there and then you get to be a part of it it's something that you just now take so much pride. One, you get to represent the United States. And then also you get to see your best friends, not only locally, but on a national scale, perform and go beyond, which has got to be wild. But I'm sure Jimmy didn't have something like that, your brother, where he had that recruiting tool to go be able to play for the development team. What was his route like? Uh, he played – so he left uh, St. Louis after his sophomore year. He played a year of midget major in Chicago, played for Team Illinois. And then his senior year, he played a year in the USHL in Des Moines. And then he actually went into Yale as a true freshman. So he got, um, you know, lucky because they can uh, – a lot of these guys, they just – they'll keep you around in the USHL, and, you know, make you take – three years off of in between school and it can get kind of messy, but, uh, but no, he was extremely lucky. Um, but yeah, like you said, that the, the opportunity to wear your, you know, the country's flag and colors every day was, uh, something that, you know, we definitely didn't take for granted because it was, it was unbelievable. And then playing internationally, like it was, it was really special. And to have some success in those tournaments, it was, um, yeah, it was a blast. What was the coolest spot you got to play in internationally? Uh, my favorite tournament we played uh, was in Switzerland. It was so awesome. We played, it was, uh, we stayed in a ski, like a ski town, uh, but it was out of season. So it was empty. We essentially had the town to ourselves in this like old lodge. Uh, up in the mountains and then the rink was down it's like a half an hour drive straight down the mountain uh in the valley it was it was awesome we went 
went there, went to Finland. Uh, we had a tournament that was like 80 miles outside of Moscow, which was definitely an eye opener. Uh, just the, just the differences in culture were, you know, shocking to say the least, but, uh, so yeah, certain, certainly lucky to be on this side of the, uh, <laughs> but no, we, we had fun wherever we went. We enjoyed it. Oh, I'm sure. But Russia is a different world. Russia oh, it was, just, yeah. it, it was nuts. It was nuts. Like they can't, they couldn't afford salt for the roads. We went in the, in the dead of winter, I think it was February. Uh, so instead of salt, it was just dirt. So it was just like this packed dirt slush, you know, substance that you were stepping in, you would sink down. It was like, that was brutal. The food, it's, it's really hit or miss over there. Um, you, know, you can't drink the water. Like we got there and they were like, all right, give us, uh, everyone had to give our equipment manager the passports. And I'm pretty sure they had like a 24 hour watch on our passports. Like somebody was staying up looking at our passports the entire time. Uh, Why would you you need to watch your ad? Just make sure nobody's snagging them. Never know. Never know, I guess. But no, we felt, I mean, it's not like I felt, uh, it's not like I felt in danger over there, but you're definitely, uh, you know, got to have your wits about you. Yeah. Heads on. In, uh, in Dimitrov, Russia. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure you're looking over your shoulder, just making sure everything's good. Um, but no Russian gas. No Russian gas, not for us. Dang. Dang. Yeah. Did you get to play against the Russian team though? We did. It was crazy though. So my 17 year, they beat us every time we played them. We played them four times. Um, and so every tournament, they won gold, we won silver. Uh, and then when we got to our 18 year, that's when the Russian doping scandal, uh, sort of, you know, came out, uh, and the group that we were playing against was part of that. So when we went to U18 world championship, which is the, like, the culmination of your time at the development program. It's kind of what you train for, what you have in the back of your mind the entire time you're there. We didn't play against our age group because uh, they were all suspended. So we played against the year younger than us. Uh, so we finally beat Russia, but wasn't our age group. Um, but no, it, it was wild. One guy our age who was playing in the OHL, uh, Mikhail Sergachev, uh, who's on Tampa Bay, obviously. It's unbelievable. But he played like... I swear to God, I think he played 40 minutes against us. It was dominant still. Um, but 40 minutes? It, I don't know if it was 40, but, like, it, he was on the ice <laughs> the entire game. And he was getting up and down, like, didn't even look tired. Oh. Geez. He's a horse. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, how did they get looped into the Russian doping scandal? Because I've watched Icarus where, it, like, to learn about – how strategic that whole scandal was and how it's still going on today. It was going all the way down to their development programs. Yeah, it was like, apparently he said that, you know, they would have trainers walk up and just hand out pills. Like nobody knew what they were and just people were taking them. So 
I don't know. It's, it's wild stuff. Did you ever talk to any of the, like, did you, first of all, when you go to these international tournaments, do you have contact with the other teams or? Not really. I feel like that uh, would be a question I would want to ask. Like, like how, like you just skated 40 minutes and you're not tired. Like how are we doing? Like what's your training regimen like? Oh yeah. Well, I think he, he's just a freak of nature. That kid. Yeah. And it shows. Yeah. yeah. Two-time cup back, winner or one-time now? Back-to-back cups. Not bad. Yeah, man. A lot, lot, of, lot of guys like that, you know, that are just having tremendous success. Uh, played golf with uh, my old teammate, Adam Fox, who his success is the least surprising thing uh, to all of us because we would watch him every day in practice and, you know, every game we played, he would do something where we were just like, what? Like he's, what is that play that he just made? Like just ridiculous. He's just so much smarter than everyone else on the ice. Um, and apparently in the NHL too. I mean, you, you get to see guys in practice every day. You get to see how they train. And it's, it's something that when you're, you're coming up as, as an athlete that, I feel like from the outside, you since you only get to see the games, it's almost just the expectation of what you've done the day before, but your teammates are the ones that get to see the process, get to see what things you're putting into it. And when you started, that's something that and you were, you were good from the get-go and you also had brothers that established it early on to be playing at that high level. When you started in St. Louis, AAA, I feel like is a different level where you are hitting not only the game at a different level, but also you're learning about what politics is at such a young age. And obviously you have your teammates, they see how you're performing, but there's so many different factors into that. And so when you got into the game, did your brothers kind of educate you at all about how that happened? Or was it something that you just figured out on your own? Just kind of figure it out as I went, you know, certain things, they, like obviously uh, my siblings are very good resources for me, but uh, you know, it wasn't, nobody was too overbearing or, you know, it was kind of my experience to have. Um, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it, I was very lucky to have, uh, Jimmy go through it in hockey and then uh, my brother and sister also you know with their respective sports um, you know there's always that aspect of uh, of politics to it but you know you just put your head down work hard and it'll figure itself out eventually and so I was telling my mom that you were you and I were going to do this and she was like you have to bring up um, that you and I not only were on the same team, but also that you learned how to skate with my younger brother. There we go. Um, Did he play with us uh, in Webster? How much? Uh, what birth year is he? He's in 98. So I think you're right in the middle of us. No, I'm in 98 you, too. You're 98? Okay. So mm-hmm. how did you get up to Minimite when we were, when I, yeah, my age? Because Sam was not on our team. No. Uh, I don't know. That's so strange. Yeah. But I remember that. And um, I mean, I don't remember much from that, but I remember the, I think the only memory I have from that team was playing at the mills when it was brand new St. Louis mills. And um, 
Matthew and Brady Kachuk were at the 2004 All-Star game. And I think David Gans was their goalie, and they, he was out too. And then we won. See, I don't remember that. I think that's the only memory that I have. Do you have any memories from it at all? One practice at Cahokia, the outdoor rink, where I thought my feet were going to fall off because they were so cold. That's pretty much the only thing. Did you ever play with the Kachucks when you got older? Were they outside your age group as well? Uh, yeah, Brady played up with us. He's a 99, the Matthews a 97. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brady played up with us for a number of years. Um, never played on a team with Matthew, but, you know, skated with both of them uh, in the summers and things like that. So, fun to, fun to be around, obviously. Um, yeah. Just raise the, the pace at a summer skate and, you know, super competitive and, Obviously, super skilled, um, but just good. Both, just you know, tremendous, uh, tremendous people. They yeah. were they were raised the right way. <laughs> yeah, and that team for the I guess '97 Junior Blues was one of the best teams in the world, right? Yeah, they were '96 and '97s, '98s were uh, all just really good. Um, because Al McKinnis had the 96s, and then uh, Mr. Chuck and Jordan Janes had the 97s, um, and then uh, Jeff Brown had our team. Uh, and so it was that, you know, alumni coaching that, you know, really uh, just allowed us to uh, reach our potential as players. I mean, the amount of players that played – uh, Division one from those groups was uh, was incredible. Like our team had, you know, at least ten guys I think play play D one college hockey, which is impressive from our little team at St. Louis. Um, but it just speaks volumes to the to the coaching that we have. And you get to play with some of the best players in the world too, being from. St. Louis, Missouri, which I feel like has never happened before. And you get three age groups that are just solid. And then I think seven first round draft picks in our draft class, which would have been that 16, 2016 was that draft class for the 97s. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. It's just, it's just wild. It's we all, you know, everything to to our coaches um, who just taught us uh, the right way to play the game and how to work, you know, how to work like a, like a pro from, you know, seven, eight years old uh, and on. I think that was the expectation and, and we all just kind of fell in love with it uh, at our own rate and, you know, have excelled and, and stuck with it. But, um, no, certainly the, the work ethic and the, and the values instilled by such elite players that, um, you know, were nice enough to take over and, and help grow the game and, and make a difference in so many of our lives. Um, we're just so fortunate to have had that experience. And when you get your opportunity to go play for the Blues too, it's – I feel like it's similar to putting on the sweater of the United States at that age. 
seven or eight, you're you're going to Blues games, and now you get to wear the Blues sweater as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. We had, we had a good team. It was fun. It was definitely fun to. Uh, it's hard not to get better in those practices with how many good players are out there. Did you play the same group all the way through? Our core group was together. I don't know what age we exactly started, but our core group of 98s was together for at least, let's see, we left when we were 15, 16, at least eight years, uh, eight, nine years together. Um, And all of us have, you know, a lot of us have, like I said, have gone on to, to continue playing. Um, but no, it was a, it was definitely a good group. I was definitely happy to be on that team versus playing against oh, us. Yeah, you have your own vision of, I mean, I want to go play at the highest level possible. So there's a reason you're there anyway. And you have that instilled in you from a young age. And I mean, that's just something that when you're ready to go, it's just the pro mindset of how you can take it to the next level. One of the biggest things for my game was being able to actually figure out the mental side of it. And high school, I feel like you, you can figure it out. Obviously you have your experience with the development program, being able to go away, go home or go to a different home and experience that. But there wasn't a lot of adversity in my playing career for lacrosse specifically until college. And then you figure out that, right. You can prepare physically, but the mental side of it is a completely different animal. And Mm -hmm. like I said, with high school, I would go to these tournaments and I would put this pressure on myself to perform. And then all of a sudden you realize that, okay, well, if you, do the right mental preparation as you do with physical preparation, then the game just becomes easier. And I had a goalie who was an all American in high school or excuse me, in college. And he gave me this book called mind gym and just reading through it and learning about what the mindset is to just envision yourself in successful moments and, and moments of failure. That's, that's where it took off and that mental became way more important than the physical. Totally. And that's, that's what separates the, the good from the great, in my opinion, is, is the mental side. And, um, you know, the development team was huge for me in, in dealing with adversity because, you know, everyone on that team is the best player from where they're from. Right. So you get there and you have all these these uh, egos, I guess, that are mixing. And, you know, you just have to, like I said, just put your head down, keep working every day. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And just have to prepare to fail because you're going to a lot. Um, You know, it's it's the road to the top is filled with a lot of twists and turns. Um, But you just fall back on what you've learned at every level um, and just keep applying that and just, you know, stay positive, really. Like it's – if you keep attacking what you're doing with the same passion 
that you did when you started and you just remember that it's a game and you're like, that's my biggest thing. It's just every day on the way to the rink, remind myself that I'm playing a game, like a game that I really love and that I am, you know, pretty good at and that is fun. And so that's the main reason I play is to have fun. Uh, and when I'm in that mindset, that's when I play my best. Um, Cause you know, there are a lot of pressure and a lot of, uh, of expectation, a lot of things attached to it, but at the end of the day, it is just a game and we're all just playing it. Uh, and we started playing it because we love it. Uh, and I think just getting back to that, uh, those roots is very important, especially in times of, uh, of struggle. Uh, it's just, it's all you can do is keep working hard and keep, trying to get better because that's that's what we love to do yeah and I remember the first time walking into my college locker room and there's there's the group that knows each other but you're bottom of the barrel and so one your class isn't as comfortable you're trying to figure them out obviously you have the ego part of it and then you just you have to navigate it and I think one of the best lessons in college especially was that just go go prove yourself on the field and then the rest will come and you've got a group of friends that's going to be there they're your teammates but if you do your job on the field then or on the sheet of ice you have an obligation to those people in the locker room to perform and it doesn't matter who else is watching it's it's the people that are in there that understand the work that's going into it and then they're going to trust you on the field. And that's, that's the most important thing. Exactly. And that's what makes, you know, that's the beauty of playing a sport in college is it takes a lot of the anxiety of going off. Like, all right, I got to find friends. You know, you show up on campus, you have, in my case, I had 30 right away, you know? Um, And yeah, you, you feel everything out. But at the end of the day, you know that, uh, you know, the sophomores, juniors, seniors, they need the freshmen to win. Um, so, you know, they might come off as tough and, and put you in your place, which is needed uh, for hotshot freshmen, you know, young freshmen that might be full of themselves. And, you know, you get humbled a little bit. But at the end of the day, we're all here to do the same thing, to win. What was your choice going the college route versus, versus the junior route? Education is a huge uh, – you know, a huge uh, point of emphasis for my family. Um, And, you know, at a place like Michigan, you get an unbelievable education, world-class education, and you get a world-class hockey program. And, you know, so you got the best of both worlds. And the message that Red Burns and, you know, stressed to every recruit, and me included, in my Holy visit shit. with him in his Coach office. Fred Berenson. Yeah, freshman year. He recruited me. What the fuck? Holy shit. What was that? He, like? he said, you know, there is life after hockey and you need to prepare for it. And to tell a 15-year-old kid that, you know, all I want to do is play hockey, to tell him that, you know, you're not going to be able to play hockey for your entire life is it's tough to hear, but it's what you need to hear. Like, um, very few people are lucky enough to play and retire and not have to do anything after that. Um, and, 
you know, so you can go and pursue your career in the NHL and also get a world-class degree and, you know, have a, have a safety valve, you know, like it's, it's very, it's a luxury to play pro hockey with a degree because you're playing because you want to, you know, you don't, you don't have to play this and, uh, you know, at, at any point if it's not going your way or if you're not, you know, if you fall out of love with the game, then you can start your life after hockey, um, you know, with, with that degree. But uh, no, that, that was Red's biggest message. And he's a bad example of it because his life after hockey just ended, <laughs> two, you know, three, four years ago. But uh, at what age? No. Yeah, 77 when he retired, I believe. And, his, and the rink is – is the sheet of ice named after red or how is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very it's red Berenson rink at Yost ice arena. That's so it was, it was great when we played, I played in the game where they dedicated the rink to him and we all wore uh, red Berenson nine uh, with the C Michigan jerseys for warmups. Uh, so that was pretty special, but, uh, but no, just being around him every day was, uh, you know, you learn something every time he opens his mouth. Uh, and I mean, a freak of nature, like he would fly around in practice and like, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, and he would just buzz around like he's in unbelievable shape. He's sharp as a tack and, uh, really just a, a world-class human being that I was very fortunate to have been around and, and learned from. I'm pretty sure that it made it a, an easier decision when he's stepping into your living room at age 15 to go play. Definitely was. It was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a great visit. And then obviously, you know, they, uh, they sold me. That's awesome. So he came down to St. Louis and, and talked to you. No, this was in, uh, this was at Yoast in his okay. office, which is a, his office is a cathedral. It's massive and just so much. Like when he retired, the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, was after a ton of stuff in his office because he just had so much cool, just old hockey, you know, memorabilia that he's collected over his career. And it's just, you know, it was hard. To, it was actually hard to focus sometimes when you were talking to him because it was like, oh, this place is just so cool. That's wild. Yeah. And was he on the original Blues? uh yeah 67 wow mm -hmm. with bobby player that's that's wild yep he was on the ice when bobby Orr scored the uh the airborne goal wrong side but that's wrong side man but, that's crazy no, he uh he tells the story he played in the stanley he played in game seven the cup final he was playing for the rangers at this point and the following day, he was in his first class uh, at the business school at Michigan. Uh, yeah, getting his MBA. Okay. That's somebody yeah. that prioritized education as well. Exactly. So, you know, he, although he never used, um, you know, officially all of these uh, tools for life after hockey, he, uh, you know, he acquired them. Right, and I should know this, but what was his route 
to get to being the head coach of Michigan. Right? He retired and he coached the Blues. Uh, he was the head coach of the Blues. He actually he won the Jack Adams Award. I forget what year this was. And then Michigan's program in the 80s was uh, sort of on its on its way down. It was not looking good. Um, and they asked him to come back and turn it around and 33 years there and, you know, 22. Three years. Two national championships. You know, I think like 17 frozen fours or something like crazy what, what he did. And it's, you know, he built the program, but what it is now, just so many people that, um, you know, he, he affected the lives of every every player that he coached. It was a it was a treat to have played uh, for him just for one year. But um, you know, we were one of his guys. So once you play for him, you're you'll you can always you can hang your hand on that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And 33 year, years, you're building not only his brand of being a coach, but building up the brand of Michigan hockey. And that's something that coming into your living room or excuse me, you going into his cathedral and you being able to see that it's just, okay, well, this is a no brainer. I want to be a part of this. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, uh, you know, it's already an easy place to recruit, but with the history and the tradition that he, you know, continued uh, and built upon, it's, you know, it's pretty hard, pretty hard place to turn down. Yeah. And the road after hockey, like he said, I mean, is that something, it's something that he prepares you for, but did you know that you wanted to make this a career? Uh, I did. Yeah. Um, but you know, it could, it could end tomorrow. You know, I could, I could get hurt and it could be over tomorrow. Um, that's the scary part about, you know, this profession, but I'm prepared for my life after hockey, you know, have my degree and whatever, you know, I, I don't know what I would want to do if I couldn't play hockey or be involved in hockey, but, um, you know, I don't exactly have to figure that out now, but yeah. What'd you uh, get your degree comes, uh, Psychology. Made you go that route. Uh, it applies to everything. You can, if you want to be successful, you gotta, you gotta know people. Um, but no, I, I, I loved, I loved, uh, my, uh, academic experience there. You know, it's such a big school and psychology is such a big program, uh, within the school. There's, there's so many, you know, routes you can go with it. So many classes you can take and things you can learn about. Um, and, you know, athletes have priority registration, so you can get into any class that you want to take. Um, so I, I, I love setting up my schedule and, you know, choosing my class for the semester with our academic advisor. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I loved my, my experience as a student there. Yeah, and psych is such a big thing that it wasn't touched on in my experience in high school, and that's what this podcast is based on as well is – not exactly a psychology course, but our freshman year, every student is required to take a course that 
focuses on human nature and what makes us different. And so we would read these philosophical scholars where it's so- uh, Socrates, um, the book of Job, um, and, and a bunch of other books. At the time, you just kind of brushed it off. You enjoyed the conversations. And that's something that I really look back at. And then as soon as COVID happened, I was reading some of the things that I wrote there in those courses that it really made an impact in who I am today because you're thinking differently. You're realizing internally how you're thinking. And then because of that, you understand other people's thought process and what kind of things go into decisions that are made. And I am an economics major, but economics is seeing how humans are reacting in a monetary way. And so being able to understand that thought process to be able to just learn about somebody on an individual level, it's more impactful than I could have ever imagined. And it's something that over COVID it's sometimes lost and people are in their environments, in their worlds. And that one-to-one contact, that experience is sometimes lost. Totally. Um, not like motivational psychology was one of my favorite classes. Um, you know, just learning what, how different people tick, uh, what makes them tick. Uh, I took an organizational psychology class, which was great. Um, you know, I actually bought my sophomore year. I bought um, a separate notebook. Um, this is when I sort of first realized that I might want to uh, be a coach. I'm done playing. Uh, and I would just write down, you know, things that I learned in classes that were applicable to coaching. And I filled a good amount of it because so many of my classes, I was like, yeah, I can apply that. I'll write that down. Um, and a lot of it's not common sense, but you know, it, it, it makes sense when you read it, but um, no, just so many, so many classes I took were, uh, like I said, it's very applicable to, you know, anything I would want to do. I don't want to coach than, you know, just leading groups of people in, in some manner is, uh, it's, it's all, all psychological. Yeah. And it's fun to just learn how people work, how they operate. And you get to do that on an individual level, but then as a team, when you're coaching you get to figure out what's going to make each person a piece of this puzzle how are we going to make this Mm -hmm. one unit to go and especially with I think of the development program I think of Michigan for you and then even more so when you're at the pro level you have to be so quick to think because you have so many different factors you've got general managers that are making decisions that the coaches may or may not be aware of or approve of, but you got to figure out a way to make it all work at the highest level and to make them perform. And that's even, I feel like even more hyper-focused on the individual and making sure that you really understand that person so you can understand how is this person going to perform their best for the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you see, you know, coaches like John Cooper, Barry Trotz having so much success um, because it sounds like to me that they are very good at connecting with the individuals. I don't know if they're 
any better than others at uh, you know the X and O's, but it seems like the environment that they create uh, and the culture um, and the way they treat the you know not their players but their people, um, you know from from what I understand, it seems like those two are uh, are top notch in in terms of that ability, um, and it's different, like you said, at the pro level. And the beauty of I think coaching in college is that you're the GM and the head coach. Um, so you're making the personnel decisions and then you're dealing with them on a day-to-day basis. And that's the appeal to me uh, is that you're building the team and then you're working with the team. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a full plate, but um, I think that, you know, it's just an extra, extra reward, you know, knowing that, okay, I assembled this team and now I'm going to manage this team. Right. And it also just makes it that much more important to be focused on the talent coming up and it makes it easier when you have triple A teams that are performing well, but to be able to select those players of what, what's going to become the identity, the team that I went and played with in Lake Placid, that, that coach got together uh, the players in a database and he, he didn't really care if you were the best player. He cared if you and your family were the best people and that he could trust you on the field to make the right decisions. And uphold that brand and so it's just important to be able to do it and then you understand what it's like to make the sport that you love a job and make sure that you're doing it at the highest level totally after what are you up to for for the rest of the summer going into uh i'm in uh in connecticut living with uh an old teammate of mine strauss mann who's our goalie at michigan um he was two years below me at school. Um, so I'm out here with uh, another teammate of mine, classmate, uh, Griffin Luce. Um, living with Strauss's family. They've taken us in. Um, and, you know, really have made us part of their family. Extremely thankful uh, for them. Um, and just the relationships that we've, you know, built with them. And, uh, but yeah, training here at a gym in Stanford. Uh, and then skating, you know, various places, um, you know, finding what works. Um, but yeah, this, this gym, uh, in Connecticut, I was here last summer as well as my second summer here. And it really, um, really taught me, you know, they helped me take the next step into, into being a pro my recovery and, you know, things you're doing away from the weight room, things like that. Um, but it's an, it's an unbelievable spot. Um, I love, love going in every day and getting better. Um, and yeah, you know, just that's, that's kind of what you're it's all doing, about. You're, like, yeah, you're doing your thing. Getting, getting something out of uh, every day in the summer, you know, not wasting any time. Um, and, and having fun while we do it. You know, it's a good group. Um, a lot of guys to play golf with. So, you know, it's uh Pretty pretty good gig in the summers. What do you shoot? Uh, like a nine handicap. I'm getting better. Yeah. Um, what did you start? I love with? it. I love it. <laughs> I don't know, like 14, 15. All right, you weren't uh, too bad to start with, but working my way down. But uh, that's fun. It's just a good way to get outside, keep it light, work on the hands. Um, 
the mental game. We fully, and, and the mental game, for sure. <laughs> but have fully caught the golf bug. It's, it's, it's uncurable in yeah. the summers. My brother, um, he had his double hip surgery, and he couldn't, he couldn't play hockey for, I think, just one season. Um, but instead of playing lacrosse, he picked up golf, and, and he just surpassed me in, in golf. And so whenever we go out to Arizona, I'm going out there next week, play a couple holes on our, in our backyard, and then we're going to go to TBC Scottsdale. I haven't played that course before, but it's the one that we're on. So I, I'm Unreal. really excited yeah. to get after it. That'll be good. You got you to gotta hit the range before that. You got to make sure your game's intact. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been out there a lot this summer, um, but there's a golf membership that me and a couple of buddies have um, in the city where we pay 30 bucks a month and have access to four different courses in the city. So it's, it's pretty good. Pretty I'm nice. sure they're nice yeah. courses in Atlanta too. Yeah, it's uh, good golf. public courses. You just get to play. Yeah, that's all that matters. Just getting yeah. go for it. So it's fun. Um, but yeah, definitely helps with the mental side of the game. Got to stay competitive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm so jealous of uh, golfers, honestly, because, you know, and I, I do like playing team sport. Um, it's, you know, I, I couldn't, I don't think I could play an individual sport, uh, but just there, you know, they are only, they only have to worry about themselves and what they're doing. And I love so much about playing golf is that it's, the ultimate present moment sport. Like your last shot has no effect on your next shot. And that, you know, getting better at handling that on the golf course, it, uh, it does help your mental game. It's like, well, that's over. You know, you got to have a five-second memory. Um, and that's something that I've gotten a lot better at in hockey is when you get back to the bench, like, it doesn't matter. Like, mistakes are going to happen. Like, that's over with. It was your last shift. It, it, it literally does not have any effect on what's going to happen the rest of the game. Uh, and golf's just the ultimate, uh, you know, it's shot by shot. Like it takes one good shot to make par. Um, and just that I, I love, I love that part about it. Yeah. I, I have my, my college coach, he, um, he came on and we were talking about um, just the moment that he first told me is like, just control the controllables. And my biggest, problem was I would worry about so many different other things and my job is literally to sit in a net and do nothing I have to react off of other players so to be able to finally find that composure and just be in the moment it's like that's that's what golf is is you have to just you're hitting a ball it's a very simple act when I'm in a net my job is to stop a ball it's very simple but Yet, if you try and put in other factors, then you overcomplicate it. Exactly. It's simple, but it's not easy. Uh, that's, that's what all these sports are about, just being present and controlling your breathing. Control the breathing. Do you do any breathing stuff? Uh, just sort of simple techniques, um, meditation you know, type stuff, but just about focusing on your breath returns you to the present. Um, and you know, helps you control the controllables. If you can't control anything else, you can control your breath. I started doing that over the past couple of years where it's just like, okay, if you want to take your game again to the next level, it's like center. Just forget about the last one, worry about the next one. So that's awesome. When did you start that? Uh, 
few years ago. Um, worked with a sports psychologist at Michigan, um, who's uh, just you know one of the best resources. Michael Tom Brady, Desmond Howard, like he's thrilled and he just helped me, you know, focus on the present and control controllables and you know his. The first thing he would say every time I sat down, he was like, why do you play hockey? I was like, because I like it. He was like, because it's fun, because you enjoy doing it. And it just, you know, he's always good at putting a smile on my face. But um, going in there when either when you're up or down, like it would just, I think more athletes need to talk to people. I think everyone needs to talk. The answers are in your own head, but sometimes it just takes someone else to get them out of you. Yeah, and I I competed against – a goalie in my class for four years and every time that that I was in that and he was on the sidelines I would come off so serious and he was like play with a smile and as soon as I put a smile on my face it's like okay I I can reset I remember why I'm playing this game and it's so simple it just changes the entire mindset oh yeah it's a game it's fun it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be fun well Luke I appreciate you coming on yeah no this is a great it's a great thing you have. I'm excited to uh, excited to uh, to listen. I don't like listening to my own voice, but I'll listen to other guests. Um, but I know I appreciate you having me on. It was it was fun, Joe. Uh, I appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Love you guys.